presence in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We praise the Lord for being with us this morning as we draw near to him. We also thank the Lord for the rain that we've been seeing, um, that we've been praying for for, for for some time now, and then God has, has answered even beyond our expectations. Um, I see new faces and old faces. Um, I see at the back there, uh, there's uh, uh, people that I haven't met. Um, can you introduce yourself, ma'am? Yes. Okay, welcome. Uh, next to Slindy Lay as well, there's a lady there. Don't be low. Uh, good, good. Uh, and uh, we've, we've met before, right? Last week. Um, all right, um, so we, we've, um, we continue this week looking at John chapter 3, verse 16. Um, as I said last week, that we're going to look at this verse for the coming four weeks. Um, so now for the, for the um, coming two weeks that are, are still coming, we're still going to look at John chapter 3, verse 16. Last week we looked at um, um, the first six words, for God so loved the world. And, and in these six words we saw, um, we saw two humbling truths, right? We saw that God does not respond to our sin as we deserve. And secondly, um, that God's love is not blind to who we truly are. In other words, when God loves us, he does not love us because we have put up a facade that he does not see the, the, the inside of us, right? Um, God loves us even knowing how much of, of sinners we are. And he still reaches out um, and draws us to himself. Just even considering those six words, for God so loved the world. You can see that God responds to us in his mercy. He responds to us in grace. He responds to us in love and not as we deserve. Because if God were to respond as we deserve, indeed we wouldn't be able to stand before him, right? We wouldn't be able to have a, a leg to stand before him, And so we can rejoice, we can stand in awe as we consider um, this exposition of the love of God. As Jesus Christ has this conversation with Nicodemus, and he reminds Nicodemus that new birth is not because you, 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 you deserve it, it's not because of your background, it's not because of your intellect, it's not because of, of, of your accolades that you have you have amassed in, in, in your life, but it is because of the, the, the amazing grace of God, right? It is God himself who does it because for God so loved the world. And so we said that we're going to look at it in four, uh, uh, um, um, in four topics. First of all, God's love that we, we looked at last week. This week we look at God's gift. God's gift. Let us look at that verse again. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son and that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, what wonderful words to, to hear. What wonderful words to, to read that you have truly loved us. 
we stand here today um, as testimonies, indeed, of your love for us. We, we couldn't have um, come here. We couldn't have um, just even woken, woke up and, 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 and chose even in this rainy day to, to come and, and rejoice and come and worship you if it was not for your love. And so, Lord, we thank you. We pray that even as we delve into these words, as we glean into the words of Christ, that our hearts will be opened to your truth. Our hearts will be drawn to you, that you will pour your great and wonderful and amazing and majestic love upon us, that we will understand it. We will come to see the, 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 the love that surpasses all understanding, and we will dive in it. May you be praised that we, as we hear your word even today. In Jesus' blessed name, amen. Um, a, a story is told of an ancient king uh, who had a conflict with a man in his kingdom. And one day he sent out his, his soldiers to, um, to apprehend the man and, and bring him to his throne. And as he, he, he began questioning the man, in the, king, in the king's mind, um, his verdict was to kill the man and his family and take everything that he owns. The man was begging the king for a lighter sentence, at least, to say, I know I wronged you, king, but I, I beg you for a lighter sentence. And then the king asked the man and said to him, what if I choose to spare your life? What would you give me? The man looked at the king and said, For that, I will give you everything that I own. Then the king asked him, What if I choose to spare the life of your wife? What would you give me? He looked at his wife. He looked at the king and said, for that, my king, I will give my very life. For that, I will give my very life. The king was pleased with this answer. And he pardoned the man and, and gave him his wife back and gave him his property back and sent them home. And, and, and as things settled down at home, um, and, and, and went back to normal, the man came back and then was thinking and said to his wife, did you notice how handsome the king was? Uh, did you notice how his hair flowed so gloriously? How, how his face was so fair? The wife responded and said, no. I could not take my eyes off of the man would give his life for me. At that particular time, when the man said, I will give my very life for my wife, nothing else mattered to her. But being dazzled by this man who was ready to lay down his life for her, all that mattered at that particular moment was the love that was displayed in her husband. All that mattered, nothing else mattered, whether the king had beautiful hair, whether the king was beautiful, that she didn't care about. All that she cared about 
was the man who would lay down his life for her. And this, isn't this also the heart of the gospel? That Christ gave his life to redeem his bride because of his love for her. Right? Doesn't that display the, 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 the beauty of the gospel as well? And shouldn't the church be concerned about nothing else but the one who died for her? Listen to what he says in John 15 verse 13. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He says, Love is greatly displayed most greatly displayed when one lays down his life. You see, the greatest display of God's love is in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, who lays his life on behalf of, 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 of those who, who, who were against God and, and, and makes them sons and daughters of God. In Jesus' exposition of God's love, here he declares, For God so loved the world, and we saw last week, right? For God so loved the world. In other words, instead of responding to the world as they deserve, as we deserve, he chose to respond with mercy that is beyond understanding. He chose instead to respond with love. The natural question that follows then when we hear this, how then did God display his love? It says, God so loved the world. How then? Because when you look at the passage in the Greek, it actually doesn't start with four. And, and that so there is not the so of saying so much. It is saying so in this manner. So the passage actually in the Greek starts in this way. In this manner, God has loved the world. And the question that must follow is then, in what manner? Right? And we, we find the answer in the next six words. The next six words that we're going to be dealing with this morning. It says, for God so loved the world, and those six words are these, that he gave his only son. That he gave his only son. And here we see God's gift, right? The, the question is then, what do these words imply? What do they tell us that he gave his only son? What do we learn from these words? We learn two things. Two things that we learn here. First of all, we learn that we are not able to save ourselves. We, we cannot save ourselves. Secondly, we learn that salvation is God's gift. Salvation is God's gift. Let us look at the first one. We are not able to save ourselves. You see, God giving his son to the world is a commentary on human weakness. God is actually saying something about us. God is actually telling something about us when he gives his son. Right? He is telling us that we are weak and unable to reconcile ourselves to him by ourselves. It is a reminder that we have no ability in ourselves to reconcile ourselves to God. 
You see, sin has rendered us weak and, and unable. There are so many things humanity has achieved in the world, right? We, we can think about all the achievements of humanity, and we can, we can even, even stay here the, the whole day recounting all the things that humanity has achieved. We have managed to create things like, uh, uh, things, that have, uh, uh, things that have so far today made life easier. From the wheel to the internet. Right? We have achieved great feats that seemed a thousand years ago impossible. We have invented cars. We have invented planes, rockets. You know, machines that can see the inside of the body. We invented cameras that, that see from, from hundreds of, of, of meters away. We, we've invented things that have made things easier. The toaster, the, the washing machine, uh, the television, uh, uh, smartphones, and so, so on and so forth. For all these things that humanity has achieved, uh, there is one thing. Uh, that we will never, listen to this, emphasis on the never, never, ever, ever achieve. And that is that we will never come to a point, get to a point where we are able to save ourselves. For all the technologies that we invent, for all the things that we achieve, we will never get to a point that we are able to save ourselves, no matter the advancement of our, the our, our, our technologies, no matter the knowledge that we gain each day, we never get to a point where we truly figure out how to save ourselves. Paul reminds us, and in Romans chapter 3, verse 9 to 18, of our true condition, he paints a picture uh, that shows how hopeless and helpless we are. He, he paints a dark picture of the true condition of humanity. Listen to what he says. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that all, not some, not many, all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, listen to this, he strings uh, 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 quotations from the Old Testament, uh, uh, trying to make his case, arguing for his case to show that we stand before God undone. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Basically what Paul is saying here, he's saying our hearts 
the, the natural tendencies of our hearts is not to run towards God, but to run away from God. The natural tendencies of our hearts is not to drift towards holiness, as D.A. Carson says, but to drift more and more and deeper into sin. He points out here that we are morally, we are intellectually fallen. Our will is in the bondage of sin. We talk so much about free will, but this free will that we are talking about is only free to sin until the grace of God works upon us to truly see the, the, the greatness, the grandeur, the majesty of who God is. No one by his free will ever comes to God, right? Think about John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus Christ says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. There's a, a debate that, that happens a lot where people think about um, election, although I'm not going to speak about election. Uh, and people say, for God to choose some, to elect some before the foundation of the world uh, and, 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 and pass over others, it seems unfair to God. Uh, oftentimes, this is what we imagine in our minds. This is what we imagine salvation to be. We imagine salvation to be a club, right? And God is a bouncer uh, standing on the door. And we are all trying to get in, and God is allowing some to get in and pushing others out. And so that's why in our minds we say it's unfair, right? But this is what we need to imagine, as Paul has described we need to imagine every single individual in the world running away from God as fast as they can. And in these people, the question is, who deserves to be saved among them? Who deserves to be saved? No one, right? Who deserves hell among them? All of them. And when God, according to Romans 9, chooses to... To, 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 to rescue others and pass over others, is he being unfair? If God was to save one individual in the world, he would still be just because no one among us deserves to be saved. In fact, if we were, because this is like the, the South African spirit of of picketing and, and, and marching before, before, for, 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 for their rights. And if we were to, 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 to go to God and have our placards and write, give us our rights and, and, and so on and so forth and, and, and go to God and, and start to sing all those struggle songs before God and say, give us our rights, give us what we deserve. What we deserve, brothers and sisters, is hell. What we deserve is hell. And this is the thing 
that truly makes us appreciate the love of God. Because understand it this way, that we are going to appreciate the love of God for eternity. And even in eternity, eternity will not be enough to understand this love of God. Because those who are in heaven do not deserve to be in heaven. They are in heaven by the grace of God. Those who are in hell deserve to be in hell. The, the, the Westminster Confession of Faith also states that same truth about the fallenness of man, about the inability of man to save himself. Listen to what he says. It says, man, by his fall into a state of sin, ha has wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from good and dead in sin, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. In other words, our bondage to sin leaves us in a state of hopelessness and helplessness. Where still, our bondage to sin puts us at enmity with God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, Your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. In other words, sin creates a big gulf of separation between God and humanity and makes it impossible for man to reconcile himself to God. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. Normally, um, and I'm sure you'll understand this, Normally, when, when a wronged party is the one who is wronged, they usually wait for the other party to come and make amends, right? But in this case, God, whose holiness was violated and whose name was blasphemed, takes the initiative. Instead of waiting for us to do the impossible, God stoops down in love to draw us to himself. And we clearly see this in the second point, right? We see, first of all, that we are unable to save ourselves. And secondly, we see that salvation is God's gift. Salvation is God's gift. Notice in those um, words again, he gave his only son. He gave, present tense, present continuous tense. He gave his son. He did it. He chose to do it. He was not forced. He was not coerced. He was not manipulated to do it. He did it. Why? Because of those first six words. For God so loved the world. That the greatest display of God's amazing love for the world is shown most vividly in the giving of his son. 
mind you, the Bible says his only son. By only son, this describes Jesus' family relationship to the Father as the second person of the Trinity. And you think, what is the nature of that relationship? You see, the only son's relationship to the Father is eternal. It's an eternal, everlasting relationship. The Bible tells us in the beginning, in John chapter 1, verse 1, before the incarnation, before, the, before Jesus Christ uh, came in the flesh, before creation, he was with God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. The only son's relationship to the father is a relationship of equality. That the son who eternally existed with the father was God. The, the, the only son's relationship to the father is unique. Though God's will, uh, God wills to, to draw many children into his family through adoption, the, the only son does not belong in a class with God's creaturely sons and daughters. When the Bible talks about only son, it is not referring to him as we, we say to ourselves, we are sons and daughters of God. It, it's a unique position. It's a unique title of, of, of Jesus Christ. It puts him on the same level in equality with the father. That is why when he looks at Philip and, and responds to Philip, he says, when you have seen me, you've seen the Father. That is why when he responds to, 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 the, to, to the Pharisees, he says to them, before Abraham, I am. He, 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 he speaks about his deity. He speaks about his true identity. His identity as Jehovah himself. He dwells eternally at the Father's right hand, set apart from all the rest as the unique object of the Father's love and affection, his most precious treasure. The, the identification of Jesus as God's only son identifies him as the supreme object of the Father's affection. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 35, the Father loves the Son. So in, 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 in getting to this, th this helps us understand uh, that though salvation is free for us, it is costly for God. His only son. And do you see, do you see the word that he uses there? You'll notice that in verse 17, he uses a different word. Here he uses the word he gave. In verse 17, he uses sent. Here he uses gave. Why would he use the word gave? There are two implications here. Gave speaks, first of all, of the incarnation of Christ. Right? John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, 
Jesus Christ came, humbled himself, left his seat in glory, came to a debased humanity, a humanity that hates God. It is not like we were trying to reach out to God and we needed a stair to get us to, 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 to finish uh, that, that, that gap. Right? It's not like we were reaching out and Jesus Christ had to come and pick us up. He, he came to a people that hate God. He, he came to a people that did not seek God. A people that did not seek to do good. He came. He was born of a virgin. He came. He lived among us. He walked among us. He experienced what we experience. He was tempted in all manner of ways. Yet without sin, he walked among us. He sympathizes with us. He weeps in our griefs. He draws us to himself in our sorrows. He is in our narrative. Jesus Christ chose to stoop low, to come and be part of the human narrative. He gave. It speaks of Christ being born. It reminds us of the beauty of Christmas. It reminds us of the beauty of the gift that God has given. He gave his most precious gift. It does not only speak of his incarnation when it says he gave. It speaks of his death as well. He, he gave. John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The, the way the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world is only when the Lamb of God would be slain. There cannot be any forgiveness without the shedding of blood. He gave his only son. And notice that he did not give David the man after his own heart. He did not give Abraham the friend of God. He did not give uh, Gabriel the angel or Michael the archangel. He did not give any of those. He gave his only son. In other words, brothers and sisters, excuse me for this language, sin had God where it has the most. He gave his only son. On the cross, humanity in defiance said to God, we hate you. On the cross, God in love said to humanity, I love you. 
How can we reject such a love? How can we spend? How can we reject such amazing love, such grace, such mercy? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What words, Lord? You do not even know the depth of those words. We cannot even scratch the surface. We, we cannot think such high thoughts that we will be able to get to the point where we truly, fully understand this love. But thank you. And may our hearts sing no other name but the name of Jesus. Precious Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, whom you have given for the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.